I am here with George Blitch, one of the, well, first of all, when you hear a name like George Blitch, um, I think I've mentioned that you were going to be on this podcast, I don't know, a couple months ago. And I said to uh, one of my co-hosts at the time, which I think was uh, Alex Gruen, who is a guy you need to meet. Um, I said, now that is a like Western gunfighter name, George Blitch. Like you could, <laughs> you could have been in like an episode of Bonanza or like, you know, Magnificent Seven. I don't know, but it's just, it's like, it's an awesome name, man. But uh, I don't know too many Georges. There was a George that I uh, went to uh, grade school and high school with. Um, and then after that, man, I, you might be the only other George I know. And at I'm one, filling that gap for you. There that's you right, man. And at one time, do you, do you remember when, like, George was on par with, like, John Doe? You know what I mean? Like, or like the name Joe. Like if somebody was going to throw a name out there, they'd be like, like just for sake of example, you know what I mean? Like they're yep. like those old math problems. Although the math story problems that we got in school, they'd use the most random names you'd never heard of. But uh, like when people would just be wanting to like talk about a hypothetical person or something, they would, they would uh, use the name George a lot. And yep. uh, now you don't hear that anymore. It's It's kind no. of like, it's a name that there's like this false sense of, Oh, that's a common name, but not really. How many other Georges do you know? Uh, you know, it's funny cause my father-in-law, brother-in-law, nephew-in-law, like, uh, I mean, they're all my, my wife's family there too, are all Georges. I have oh, really? George. So I'm surrounded by him. You can go to a family party and yell out George and you're gonna have like six guys <laughs> turn around and be like, what's up? Oh, and then they'll be like, no, George B. Like, there's still two of us or something, you know? So, there's a few, and I've met I've met a few Georges in the day. I've met President Bush once, and oh, uh, really? The, the elder, yep. I told him I was like, "Hey, man," he was at a steakhouse walking by, and I just said, "Hello, Mr. President. I just want to say you have the best first name in the world." He's like, "A fellow George. Nice to meet you." So <laughs> that's pretty cool, man. <laughs> so there's I've 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 run amongst a bunch of them, but yeah, it's uh it it's so it's common in my circles at the very least. Most of the people time like people refer to it, my grandpa george or you know it's like an older generation yeah. name. like but i it's all around me man i can't escape it <laughs> yeah yeah well maybe it's a texas thing which is a good time to introduce the fact that george is here because well he's a really cool guy but he's also a good texas voice he's not the only texas voice that's been on here before um mike reber a good friend of mine uh with roaming fire foods has uh which I need to introduce you with. Maybe you already know Mike, but uh, he'd be a great guy for you to uh, cross paths with. And I think he lives not too far from you. So nice. after after we record, we'll have to chat real quick. But um, George is from Texas, though, where hunting is its own beast. Um, there's lot. First of all, there's lots of beasts to hunt in Texas, um, but also just like from a a cultural standpoint, and this is a thing, you know, as I've gone deeper and deeper into the, into the rabbit hole of hunting over the years, you realize that there's so much nuance there. You can't just easily um, categorize things, right? You can't just say, yeah. oh, you know, deer hunting, oh, that's done this way. Or, um, uh, you know, uh, trapping this is what everybody thinks about trapping or this is you know you can go on and on down the list right and one of those topics is baiting um 
So we're going to, for this episode of Picking Bones, so yes, happy Tuesday to you. And I should warn everybody, uh, there is a winter storm basically covering the entire nation right now. And it's definitely hitting Texas and it's definitely hitting Iowa. And this is a web-based call. So if it's a little choppy, my apologies. I'll do my best in editing, but um, just just to be forewarned. But yeah. uh, so far, so good. So... But uh, yeah, let's let's talk baiting a little bit. Is it? I mean, let's just right off right off the bat here, George. Do you think there's? Well, maybe let's do it this way. What other issues do you think are as controversial within hunting as baiting? Like, like what would be some other things? Let's brainstorm here. You know, I I think that's a big one, and it's something that you know, as I've gotten to interview a lot of different you know Western hunters, it would you know just that's the term of basically anything outside of, of, of Texas over here or even folks in, in Canada and other areas in Alaska. And um, it's just a, a different level of hunting. In Texas, there are a lot of places where you're in a deer blind. You have a feeder that's throwing corn or you have a feeder that has protein or maybe there's cotton seed. Um, you know, I've killed probably just as many deer that were just kind of walking through a path and I, you know, kind of got the gun up at the right time. And, but as I have when one has come to corn or eating corn on the road and stuff. And that's how mm-hmm. I kind of grew up. And I know that, you know, there's people that kind of look down upon that. And it was very interesting because I only know what I know, right. It's, that's kind oh, of the yeah, thing that I've seen. Point. And obviously seeing everyone else who, you know, long stocks and glassing, you know, for days and then finally finding something. And I, I dream of that. It's just not in my, not outside my door, you know, it's something right. I'd have to travel maybe, you know, that, that opportunity is there. I, I definitely walk around the ranch and keep the rifle on me. And, you know, I try to, if I pick up something, I'll try to stock in and that happens too, you know, or, but it's, it, I think, you know, Doug Duran, a, a mutual friend of ours, had mm-hmm. came down to our, our, our ranch in central Texas recently. And he had a drive around, uh, beforehand before I got there. And, um, he was going around and, and he, when I got there, we started talking and I was like, Hey, what'd you think of the place? He just kind of did a quick little tour. Um, and he's like, I totally see why you guys have corn feeders here. And he's mm. like, because it's so dry. How would you go? There's no ability to like in certain area places in Texas to like have food plots. Like you can grow them, but if you don't get any rain, like, and he's like, yeah. I, I, he's like, I get it more. And it's not that he had the, that, you know, the, the blessing or, or uh, of necessarily of it. And I, I didn't take it as that, but he was like, I get it. And yeah, I, I was like, yeah, like, I don't know what you would do otherwise in certain areas than sometimes try to bring them in. Cause it's so thick and there's yeah. not just open spots. So I get that, you know, some people may look down upon it or find that controversial. And if you're, you know, in these branches where you have animals in such proximity that if there's diseases and CWD and it's spreading because they're in such close proximity, am I somehow a part of that bigger problem? If that ends up in my neighborhood, do I need to abandon the corn feeder? And maybe then I would, but I, you know, it's, it's, it's an evolving thing. And I, I, I can, I try to get everyone's perspective on any type of thing I call it multi-perspectivism, just the idea of being able to sit in everyone's shoes and see where they're coming from. So I welcome that opportunity to hear what other people have to say about it. And I don't, you know, I, I, but I, I know that is definitely a controversial one across the country. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, uh, I think, uh, 
you know, you did a nice job of explaining like, uh, it, it wasn't controversial till I heard it was, you know? And, yeah. and I think that, that it's important to keep that perspective. Um, but, but yeah, I think you mentioned a couple other things in there too, that are probably just as controversial CWD management and Doug has fought many, uh, let's just call it what it is. He's, he's been entrenched in a war where he's had to fight many battles on, uh, the controversy surrounding that. And, um, you know, uh, I think, uh, you could also look at, um, Oh boy. You know, wolves are kind of related to it. That's, uh, you know, that's a super controversial issue, but that's more of a wildlife thing than a hunting specific, um, uh, you know, public land versus private land access. That's, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's kind of, you know, there's a lot of grief thrown back and forth there. Uh, but man, I, Oh, here's one, uh, high fence which Texas knows well about that too. And sure. we've, we've, we've already explored that one. Um, uh, Mike, again, Mike Reber has been on this show several times and, mm-hmm. and we've gone through that and explained how a high fence operation in Texas is a lot different in most cases than it is in Iowa. You know, you're talking, you know, 220 acres versus, you know, 22,000 acres in some cases, yeah. you know, yeah. and, yeah. and, uh, um, you know, there, it's just, it's, it's a whole new, it's a whole new world. And I think it's important that we keep that openness. Another topic, uh, John Lusk of Lusk Archery Adventures. Um, Hey, he's down in Texas now. I need, man, I need to introduce you to a couple people. Uh, he I think used you need to, be, to come down to the oh, yeah. and we'll all get down together for a hunt, right? That, that's what would be <laughs> awesome right there. Count me in buddy. But, um, but yeah, uh, John Lusk, he's done um, hunts all over the world. So that includes Africa, and Africa is a controversial uh, topic. But yeah, I think what the goal is when we dive into these issues with um, – and, and I get better at this the older I get. Um, we're not necessarily trying to, you know, uncover – the right answer, quote unquote. We're just trying to gain more perspective. I like that term you use, multi-perspectivism. And the way we do that is we bring in more voices. Some things, absolutely, there's a right and there's a wrong. Um, poaching, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, but most things are not so black and white. And um, I suppose somebody could even bring up the argument in the case of poaching if somebody was starving to death, you know, and they lived in a country where... Uh, you know, it was the king's deer, and you know what? What? What then? You know, I don't know. That's you know, I'd probably be, I'd probably would be uh, uh, looking to hunt the king's deer then too. But yeah, right. but uh, you know, the, the, everything has some gray area in most cases. Um, which everything in most cases, I just use an absolute and a non-absolute to define the same thing, but it's a long day guys. You know, we did our last bit of frost seeding at work today and uh, we had to get everything batten down for the snow, the snowstorm coming. So my brain's a little sluggish, but I'm drinking coffee and this is already a stimulating conversation. So uh, the baiting side of it though, that's the one that we really want to get into. We want to try and, and get to a point where um, we can be like, okay, I, I can see where people are coming from, you know? And I think the first thing that we should talk about within that, George, is what you kind of introduced it as. It's part of the culture there. Um, because 
of what the landscape does and doesn't give you. Um, it's an adaptation that's been effective and um, one that allows a lot of acres that would probably not really be huntable to now be huntable. And um, so maybe let's just start right there. Uh, talk about like, like some of the, like how does the average Texan view baiting? You know, I, I think that most of them are very accustomed to going in a blind and having a corn feeder set up um, or maybe, you know, protein, cotton seed, you know, I've seen mineral blocks and things. So these ways you're bringing them in and, you know, I kind of, I feel an important point to make because one of the ways that we utilize that is that's where we're putting game trail cameras to bring in as many of the deer as possible so that we can identify the bucks. We do doe count numbers and we give those numbers back to our state wildlife biologist mm -hmm. who there in turn looks in that area, that particular county, that region to be able to say, okay, right now, the ratios at a two to one, we're trying to get it to a one to one. We say you for your property and X many acres should take X many dough and half as many buck or whatever that number is. They come to each year and every year it's been fluctuating. They, they hmm. stay pretty consistent, but um, you know, if there's a big year where we had like a flood one year uh, in April and then another one in May and a lot of the fawns that hit the ground early died. And so mm -hmm. there was an absence of an age class and it was remarkable. You would not have necessarily seen it as much, but if you saw all the game trail pictures around these feeders. Um, and so I tend to personally, like the feeders are there, they're going off, but I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hoping I catch them before they jump into like a pen that, you know, a lot of times yeah. uh, if, you, if people can imagine like cattle paneling, uh, maybe four inch squares that people will put up to maybe like three foot high. A mm -hmm. lot of people in Texas will put those around corn feeders to keep hogs out so that you're not feeding this invasive species more. Uh, and that, or maybe in some cases you open up that fence and you bring them in, or you're using that as a trapping mechanism as well. You know, it, it everyone's a little different because some places are hog hunting meccas. Like they want to just bring in people and, you know, they funnel in hogs from other properties and things too. So, mm -hmm. um, I think it's it's just something I I grew up with feeders there, but very few. Mm -hmm. um, most of my first few hunts were kind of going and sitting in front of a game trail. But I think that I think my generation is it's probably much more feeders because also lands are getting a little bit smaller and you're trying to bring them in. But man, South Texas where we have a place. It's so thick you can't even walk 15 feet into certain areas of the property, and it's like that for, you know, a quarter of a mile because it's just thick mesquite brush, and there's no food source there, and so you kind of bulldoze a lane there, and then you can kind of see them coming and going between spots, and if you put up a feeder, you're up in your chances of, of seeing various animals come in, and certain animals, you know, it's like, uh, of course there's laws that you there's things that are coming through migratory you're not you're not shooting those over corn yeah you're not shooting dove over corn but it's okay for someone to grow sunflower seeds and have this huge sunflower <laughs> oh good he's bringing it. it up he's bringing you it know, up it's like it's the same thing i hear that i'm like oh go, it's it's the nuances right so it's like you can grow all these seed and there's seeds on the ground but you're you're hunting over bait but mm -hmm. that's legal even though it's i mean it's like that's where the 
that's where the gray comes in, you know? Yeah. Now, if someone invites me out to go dove hunting in a huge sunflower patch they just mowed down, I'm going. I'm yeah, going. I'm right, having fun. And, you know, I think it comes down to a lot of ways of, like, what you're doing as a hunter for conservation and leaving something better for the future generations. Because if you're doing that and you have the right, you know, ethics involved with your making sure you're making the best ethical shot, like you're having good practices and honoring that tradition, then I don't really feel like it should matter if you're doing it bait or you're spot and stock or whatever it is. As long as you're continuing this way of life and doing something, I mean, even just partaking in, in hunting in the industry, we put so much money back into conservation more than any other group in the entire mm. country and all these other, you know, groups benefit from that as well. So it's a, uh, you know, and that's kind of the controversy there in Africa too. What does it do to the community? Well, yeah. you know, hunting brings a lot of commerce and a lot of food and a lot of good and conservation, even though people don't think of it like that. Right. Once you really get into the nuances of it, then you'll see it's a super positive benefit for the wildlife. I know it, it sounds yeah. like a, you know, it's like two <laughs> trains at opposite you know directions, but they, they are convergent and they, they work together. Yeah. Yeah. Very well said. And, um, I'm so glad you brought up another is one of my points here for our discussion. Uh, the food plot culture versus the baiting culture, because every, every state other than maybe like uh Western, you know, like true Western states like Montana, Idaho, especially, um, Wyoming, Colorado places where, where, uh, you know, food plotting and and that is not really going to be worthwhile i mean it might help some um when i was hunting in western nebraska which you know that was that was the west it was uh where we were at was north of colorado um so it was you know we were we were out at that same uh line of longitude you know as as other western states and there were some food plotting that um one of the the ranchers that we talked with, he did some food plotting specifically for deer hunting, and and uh, but that to me seems like a, as a, a pretty rare thing. Maybe in like the bottomland country where more of the ag parts of the states, you'd find that. But but really, if you're in the Midwest, you're in the east eastern half of the country, food plots are a common thing. But also some of those states, Ohio. Um, uh, trying to think where else, uh, some Southern States, of course, uh, in the Southeast, um, I'm trying to think, is New York a baiting state? New York might be a baiting state, but I'm not positive on that. Yeah. I'm not sure on that one, but, and, uh, I think Michigan actually, you can do, do a little bit of baiting in Michigan, although I think they have some CWD counties, uh, where you uh, cannot, but, right. but, uh, there are a few States that do both, you know, like they got a strong food plotting culture and a, a baiting culture there. And I keep using that word culture and it's probably getting a little annoying, but I really think that that is part of this whole conversation. Right. Um, so maybe let's address that first and then, then we'll talk about the food plot versus the, you know, intentional baiting, uh, or using feeders or so forth. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that a lot of this has to do with, with what a state has done and has kind of always been there ever since game laws came to be and game laws really shaped hunting culture. And, um, uh, you know, 
let's we've talked about crossbows on here a lot. Um, I have a new, very nuanced opinion on crossbows. Um, not that mine. Oh, yeah, what's that? Not that mine's any different than than anywhere else, but but I I don't want crossbows to be legalized for the general archery season here in Iowa. However, I don't want crossbows to be made illegal in a state like you know Indiana, where Dustin Huff kills the American, you know the the United States world or the United States record second place on a world record scale buck with a crossbow. I don't want, I don't want crossbows to be taken away from Indiana because they're the people have accepted them. They're integrated into the fabric of deer hunting in Indiana In Iowa. They are not. And I want it to stay that way because there's no doubt about it. The, the data is there. Um, you know, it, it does make those opportunities for world-class bucks, even though that's what Dustin Huff got it with, uh, in a crossbow state. It's just not as likely to happen in, in your state where crossbows are allowed during the regular archery season. I'm fine with them being used during muzzleloaders, uh, late muzzleloader season. You know, heck, I'd be okay with them even in the early muzzleloader season because uh, I think that they're, more similar to a primitive firearm than they are to a vertical bow, you know, but, um, so, you know, kind of a, a strange opinion. I think most people are either all yes or all no. Um, I think that the culture of a state and how it accepts things, um, you know, I think that that should weigh into what that state decides to continue doing or not or discontinue sure. doing. And, um, so I think the same thing though is true with baiting. You know, um, if you grow, if you grew up in Texas like George, but even let's be honest, Texas is kind of an extreme, right? Because you have like, you, you couldn't really hunt without baiting, but let's go to Ohio. You could definitely hunt you could have great hunting in Ohio without using bait, right? You, I mean, Ohio is one of the best whitetail states there are. Um, but if George was born in Ohio and grew up in Ohio, it would be a part of his hunting experience and his hunting culture. Like, hey, yeah, this is what we do. This is whitetail hunting, you know. We, we can put out some bait in some areas of the farm that we want to hold deer on. And, uh, you know, that's just what we do. And so I kind of think that that's part of it too. It's just, you know, what, what are people used to and what, it, what has it always been, you know? And, um, and some of those changes come in later. I know that, but it doesn't take long for a change to be made and people just get used to it. And that's, that's part of the fabric there, you know, but then, yeah, and, oh, go, go ahead, ahead. go ahead, go ahead. I, I was just thinking about too, that, that one thing that, I've seen a lot of, and there's a lot more education and, and sharing of this information with groups like uh, the NRCS, mm -hmm. um, you know, USDA, uh, you know, groups that is helping landowners to be able to do things for us, like the en Environmental Quality Enhancement Program or Improvement Program. Um, we were given the opportunity to go bulldoze land root plow all these non or you know these invasive you know non-natives mm -hmm. um different trees there um and we got rid of a bunch of those and we ended up replanting the 
native grasses and seeds, yeah, orbs awesome. that were from that area originally. Because our, yeah. you know, especially in Central Texas, it looks a lot different now than what it did originally in the landscape. Yeah. And I don't know if we're going to be able to bring that back, but we're bringing in pockets of that too. So I'm trying to, you know, while I, again, I'm, 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 I'm not someone who's like a negative person, but I also am trying to do things naturally to our property because we are landowners and we have that ability to and the, the county sometimes pays a portion of that i think in our time it was maybe about half of what it, the cost was but we made major improvements on the property 23 acres of you know these forbs and seeds and tall grasses that helped all the turkeys uh mm -hmm. to be able to you know and and fawns and every it became a better habitat area. So there are things that you can still do to make these improvements and enhancements yeah, in a more fair. natural setting. And is that like, where does that line cross when you're talking about baiting? It's like, well, okay, that, that land didn't have that on there. So you took yeah, something off, right. you put something back in. Is it a food plot? Well, I'm, I'm leaving a habitat that's yeah. more of like, a, you know, a, a structure that, that can hide and stay safe from predators and be able to have like there's, and yes, there's some food sources in those forms and things too. So yeah, I guess it could be food plotty too, but it's like really overall trying, we're trying to personally benefit the wildlife for as many generations down the line as we can by improving that habitat. So we are still baiting and we are doing these things too. And, you know, so it, it's like, when I think about that, it's like, was someone going to be like, oh, I can't believe you guys are doing that. You should just let it be what it is. Like, you know, what, what are the answers? Everyone has an opinion. Right. It's, yeah. So I, I never know. I don't, I don't bother myself too much about other people's opinion. I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to try to get as educated as I can. And I've listened to people smarter than me uh, to try to, you know, guide that, that journey to do what's best for, you know, my time here and leaving it better for, you know, my kids, grandkids and down the line. Yeah, well, I think that's that's great insight, and uh, it, I think it addresses the other part of that, which is the the difference between food plotting and baiting. And I think that that is the, there's a lot of bleed over between those. Yeah. And someone might be saying, "Well, you guys are missing the obvious thing. It's a lot harder to do a food plot than it is to, uh, you know, fill a feeder." And what I from what I've learned is not always true. <laughs> there's a that you got to keep those things full and predictable for the animal, which is expensive and uh, takes a lot of effort hefting those bags up there. And, and um, sometimes you got to mix up some different things. And, and uh, especially then when you start like take that over to like bear baiting sites and stuff, right, that right. is a really physical uh, task uh, for a lot of remote baiting sites that uh, guys have to access. And, um, so I don't think that that's as simple as, as just saying that one thing that, you know, because again, we're not trying to necessarily, we're not going to, you know, say that we have the right answer here, but, um, <clears throat> one thing that I think, uh, somebody who would be arguing in favor of food plotting could maybe say, and this kind of goes along the lines with what you were just describing there, George, is, that there's influence on the animal caused by man in both cases, right? Whether you're putting in a food plot, even if like where I work, Hoxie native seeds, we grow all these, those native plants you're talking about. Yeah. We sell perennial food plots. Now that's, it's a way of getting people to buy native plants and, and, you know, really 
from a conservationist standpoint, do their property a lot bigger favor than just planting a pile of turnips, you know, but, but, uh, even still, even if it's a native planting, that's still, you're still influencing animal behavior as a person in both cases, feed through feeders or through food plots. But one nice thing about a food plot as opposed to a feeder is um, you're getting closer to that natural influence. Like, like, uh, oh, the grass truly is literally greener on the other side of the fence. I'm going to go to the other side of the fence, you know. But even still, you know, how ticky-tacky and how hair, you know, splitting hairs are we getting here with 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 doing that? And so um, I guess I'm going to kind of, you know, maybe just to kind of put a bow on this because we could talk about this for hours. Sure, sure. But, but um, uh, maybe we'll, we'll each do our final statement. I'll give you the last word because you're the guest. But um, what I would say is my, my opinion is kind of like what it is with crossbows. We aren't allowed to bait here in Iowa, and I hope it stays that way. Um, I hope that there's never a day when people are allowed to bait uh, uh, anything other than coyotes here in in Iowa. That being said, I don't think that Ohio, unless it becomes a animal health concern, um, you know, like seed starts having you know significant CWD problems. I don't think that they should get rid of it. I think that Wisconsin, with their CWD problems, um, where baiting is illegal, should stay illegal, which I'm not sure. I think there's some places in Wisconsin that uh, people are allowed to bait. Maybe it's way up in the northern part of the state or something. But, um, you know, I think that that should, you know, factor in, of course. But then when you come to an extreme like Texas, that's just part of it. And it makes a lot of sense to do it. And if George said, you know what, I'm just going to try and only do food plots and I'm just going to try and only do habitat improvements and just try and make it, you know, so play into that natural influence that I was referencing earlier, um, that's all fine and great. But if his if his neighbor is uh, running um, like, you know, multiple corn feeders, um, yeah, he's going to have more deer than he would or, you know, than he would if he hadn't done those changes, but he's not going to have more deer than his neighbor. Most likely Um, you're going to be at a, at a disadvantage. And so I've heard that argument too, that in States where baiting is done, um, if you choose not to, um, you're putting yourself at a very real disadvantage. So that's kind of my opinion. What do you think, George? Yeah, no, I, I, those are good points there, man. And, and, I think it, it really depends on where you are. If you have a high, you know, number of, of CWD or other types of diseases where baiting would maybe further spread that, then I think that's where things really have to be looked at critically. And I think that's where laws need to come into play uh, because a good judgment isn't always there with everyone. And you and I may think about what's best for the herd and, and, you know, the bird and the herd, right. And everything. Mm -hmm. And, but that doesn't mean the next person won't. And you could be someone who is helping to spread that disease by not taking the right action. So sometimes it needs to become a law. Um, you know, it's, 
it's funny like even like people think that just because you have corn out there you know i think there's a stereotype of like someone sitting under a feeder oh deer comes in boom bang like i can't tell you how many times i've been out in in the property and uh, you know you get skunked and then you're like wow nothing comes to the feeder you're checking all the cameras like i know there's a bunch of deer here and then the thing is you can't compete with what's natural you walk over by the creek beds and all of a sudden it sounds like it's raining but the sun's shining you look up and oh look it's all the acorns coming down and look at all this fresh sign from the turkey and the deer and the hog and you're like oh yeah they're here this mm-hmm. is their feeder right now and so you know if i plant more oaks that produce more acorns is that okay like it's hard some somebody might say no somebody might say well that tree isn't native over here even though it you know drops Mm, this type of feed oh persimmons are these supposed to be here yeah yeah is that is that baiting and there's so many gray lines and that you know that's where i really just feel like in the end at the end of it all I'm going to do what's best with what I can right now and what I have the right to change my opinion. And next year I might try something else or I might be leaning less corn and more uh, setting up bow stands near the oaks because I want to go into that natural progression of making things uh, maybe a little bit more challenging, a little Mm -hmm. bit maybe more hunting ethical for that viewpoint of the non, you know, baiting side. Like, and I'm going to do my best to just leave my market to not step on other people's toes and other states toes and hopefully the right people are making the best decisions overall so we have both most healthy habitats of wild animals you know for future generations and you know if someone doesn't like the fact that i sit uh, in the feeder sometimes and you know shoot a deer that's eating corn okay that's fine i don't care i have meat in my fridge and where right. it came from and i'm cooking it for my family and my friends and i'm eating better than uh, than I ever have been in past years with the whole bounty of wild game. And I feel really good about that. I know where it comes from. So it's a little different than going to the grocery store. Uh, you know, it's the, there's no checkout line right there at the bottom of the feeder. But, you know, it's it's some people just think that it's that easy, but it's not. And I think, you know, the hard work really becomes whenever that animal's on the ground and you're butchering it and you're putting all that but i, I find that fun you know so yep. it's a way for me to get great quality meat for my family and yep sometimes uh feeders are involved uh, not all the times so there's a lot of times like oh hunt you know where i i want that challenge of walking around and seeing something and hopefully mm-hmm. catching it but we also cut all these lanes throughout the property because it's real thick brush so i've, I've changed the environment to yeah. better uh, up my chances of, of getting some of that wild game by doing that. So is that cheating too? Some yeah. may say yes. So it's, no, it's a great you know. point. It's a great point. And, and that's a, that is something that goes on here in Iowa, you know, these heavily, heavily influenced properties, um, that are, you know, just, just manicured really. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's, you know, it's, it's all within the same vein, I think, uh, of consideration. So yep. yeah, excellent. Excellent. What a great conversation. Um, want to thank George. If you uh, like hearing George, you're in luck because, uh, this Friday he's going to be on the regular episode. We're going to talk about hog hunting in 200. Let's see, that'll be episode 204 in 204 episodes. We finally come across our first hog conversation i can't believe that it wasn't intentional um but it's just a big lead up that's fine that's I right understand. that's right it's just i, I no, needed no to, pressure 
I needed to meet the perfect person to talk about it. That's all it was. (laughs) Um, So fate has brought George to the first gen hunter podcast. Um, He does a great job. You may have noticed just how polished he is. And that is because he hosts his own podcast uh, podcast, which I was uh, privileged to be a guest on uh, the son of a blitch podcast. Uh, I'm sure you can uh, see the play on, on words there with uh, George's last name. Um, uh, But you know, if you ever want to like, you know, if they ever do like a tombstone part two, you know, maybe they talk about uh wide Earp in the uh, later years when he gets charged with fixing fights and stuff like that. Um, you know, maybe you can be a, maybe you can be a guy in the background, George Blitch, you know, the, uh, the gunslinger who, uh, uh, rides along with, uh, um, the Wyatt brothers, but, or the Earp brothers. But, um, anyways, uh, thanks so much to George for coming on this episode of Pickin' Bones. And uh, again, you can check out his podcast. And also, I uh, want to mention, we'll talk more about this in the full-length episode, but he works for a, or he has a company, I should say, founded a company known as Map My Ranch. Uh, you should check that out. Um, you'll find a link for that in the show notes and a link for his podcast as well uh, in the show notes. And um you know, got to give a big shout out to the sponsors of this show. First of all, the First Gen Hunter podcast, if you've been listening for a long time, you know, is presented by Spartan Forge. And Spartan Forge is a tremendous uh, mapping tool, but is even more well known for uh, its use. Really, one of the first companies that I know of to be using artificial intelligence to uh, help them uh decipher all the deer behavior prediction data that they uh, have um, from radio collar uh, data. That number grows all the time and uh, it'll be expanding to more species in the future. Um, Bill has just done a tremendous job with that and uh, you should get on board with it as well. You can download the app for free and get the uh, basic mapping functions, which does include the property uh, boundaries which is a huge thing when you're hunting and trying to figure out where's public land uh, start and end and where do you know, whose door do you want to knock on all that stuff? You can get that part for free, but I'm going to strongly advise that you do go ahead and either through a monthly payment or through a one-time payment uh, each year, you got to pay each year, uh, get a uh, year long subscription and uh, take full advantage of everything Spartan Forge has to offer, including the deer behavior prediction, you will not regret doing so. Um, it is the most powerful tool you can take in your pocket into the woods. And then also Alex Gruen of East to West Hunts, the best hunt planner there is in the business. You got hunting dreams. Alex helps you make them happen. Go to easttowesthunts.com, request a free consultation with Alex. He can take you all the way through all the tag app stuff, all the um, point buying, all the gear, all the, uh, all the, um, uh, let's see here, uh, like, or, you know, organizing flights. Like if you're going to Alaska and you got to do a little island hopping or something or get way back into the bush, you're going to need a pilot to help you do that. That probably sounds pretty daunting. Well, not when you have Alex on your side. Again, go to eastwesthunts.com and request that free consultation, and you can just kind of spill the beans with Alex, everything you want to do. And um, if Alex thinks that he's a good match for you, he's going to take you on as a client. 
And uh, if he thinks that you're looking for something else, he's going to tell you that. He's not going to waste your time or your money. And so uh, Alex truly is um, one of the best people I've ever met and a very trustworthy person for planning your dream hunts. Again, go to eastwesthunts.com and use the uh, you can use the promo code FIRSTGEN10 or you just tell them you listen to this podcast. When you do the free consultation, you'll save yourself 10% off that bill. And you go, you're on your trip. You shoot a, you shoot a uh, let's see here. What are they going to shoot? They're going to shoot a Boone and Crockett black bear. Yeah, that's a weird one to measure, but it does exist. And uh, you get that nice big old boar. And uh, now you needed something to do with it. Well, take it down to Old Barn Taxidermy or mail it to them. Tell them it's coming first. Don't just, like, send them a box, you know, with a a hide in it. Make sure you uh, get all the details worked out with them. Uh, They are world-class taxidermists. They've they've done it all. They... um, Sam has been doing taxidermy for uh, 40 years, and uh, he's just one of the most well-respected names in the business. Very fair prices. Um, Sam prices his stuff based on what he thinks is a good price for his customers. Yes, you heard that correctly. Not how much money can I make off these people? Not, not, um, you know, man, do you think if I, if I kind of push it a little bit that they'll still be able to No, he, 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 he's told me himself. I've been in the room with Sam talking with him. He says he sets his price because he knows that a lot of his customers, uh, are on, you know, uh, they they don't make a lot of money, and but they still deserve a trophy. And so he tries to keep that in mind when he sets his prices. And uh, so he has one of the most affordable rates here in the Midwest. Six ninety five. last I checked, uh, for a shoulder mount. National average is about $900, and you get every bit as good a work. Um, Sam has, has, has over 500 shoulder mounts, just shoulder mounts. We're not talking all the mountain kitties and all the black bear rugs and all the turkeys and all the fish and everything else that comes through his shop, waterfowl, um, just whitetail shoulder mounts. It also doesn't count European mounts and full body mounts and all that. So the guy's been there, done that, gives you the best quality work. Do not get bad taxidermy. You'll regret it every single time you look at that thing and eventually you'll cut the antlers off and use them for rattling antlers so get it done right go to old barn taxidermy and uh, you won't regret it well thanks again george for weighing this one out with me uh everyone else stay tuned on friday and get to hear about hogs Till next time everyone take care and take someone hunting